This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, as you already know, it is a transitional time for education in the province. The English School District whittled down to one entity from numerous school boards across the province over the last number of years is being absorbed now into the Department of Education. And the man who has led the school district over the last decade or more is now retiring. Well, today is Tony Stack's last day on the job, and he's making the rounds to discuss his career and education as a whole. I sat down with him here at the VOCM studios this morning, and here's our conversation. So this is it? This is it. How does it feel? I don't know yet. (laughs) Uh, I won't know until a little while, probably. I've been spending a lot of time going at a very fast rate and uh, compressed days, uh, so it'll be an adjustment for sure. A lot of prep, I guess, you know, setting the stage for the next... Yeah, that was the biggest thing, I think. It's frenetic right up until the end because you're trying to uh, close a few files and facilitate uh, um, transfer of responsibilities and such, so it's... uh, but it's been, it's been good, uh, you know, strong team, as always, in support. So we're in a good place. And uh, how does it feel? I mean, you know, it's got to be bittersweet. Well, you know, you, I think anybody who retires, you prepare the early stage of your life for the world of work. And it's all about that for many, many years. And then to let go of that voluntarily is a, is a big deal. I think everybody who retires faces that. But I've talked to many retired people, and they... Most folks say they don't know what they d- to do they did before uh, because their days are full. So uh, I'm hoping that's me. So this is uh, one chapter closing, but how did it all start? How did you get started in the education field? Wow. So that, that goes back a long time uh, in an era when we used Commodore pets. There were no cell phones. Uh, using Trying to learn computer language in university was punch cards and big machines that looked like something on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Um, And now we can hold all that in our hand. So a lot has changed. Um, It, uh, I had a dual career. I was part of the the Army Reserve, and so it it fed well with with the teaching profession. Started in uh, St. Bernard's down in the Buren Peninsula, some time in Avondale, then Mount Pearl, and I never really landed a job in St. John's until I went with the district (laughs) in uh, 2010. So, but look, along the way, some wonderful people. Um, and there continues to be really wonderful people that are dedicated to learning and doing the very best they can for the students of this province, this great province in Newfoundland and Labrador. Did you ever imagine, you know, starting out in St. Bernard's, that you'd be one time, you know, taking over and, and, and helping all of those teachers do what they do? Not at all. Uh, I was the, the math and science teacher. And I had a strong math background, not so strong in science. So there were days and nights where I, of course, you relied heavily on textbooks in those days. And honestly, I was about two pages ahead of the students in the textbook. Uh, It was a lot of work. But uh, you get through that, and every young teacher adapts and and learns. But no, I never thought uh, I would end up here. It's just a door open, and I went through and found out what was on the other side. and, And thus, here we are. 
did you find yourself drawing from those experiences as a teacher through the course uh, of? Uh, oh yeah, you know, I think uh, in any organization, uh, I learned a lot about leadership in uh, Canadian Armed Forces. There's um, an incredible amount of time and energy invested in training and preparation and being in uh, leadership roles that are intense. Um, and, and so, yes, it blended well. And, and it's a dual track because I think on the other side, I recall being in Afghanistan and uh, working with this lady who was principal of a school. Um, and uh, there had been a, a British major assigned to this reconstruction project of her building. And he had never been inside the building. But uh, we got to talking. She found out I was a school administrator back in Canada. And it was a complete privilege to be invited inside a classroom of uh, senior girls. You know, as a, as a Western male, uh, that was a privilege. They spoke really, really good English. They were wonderful people. Um, so sometimes the, the two careers kind of complemented each other and, and uh, opened doors that wouldn't otherwise be open. So what was your role in Afghanistan then? I was there in uh, 2004. I worked for the great General Rick Hillier. He was in charge of the uh, International Security Assistance Force at the time. And I was there as a lieutenant colonel in charge of um, civil military cooperation operations for, for the UN-led mission, the NATO mission there, or the NATO-led uh, UN mission, um, in, uh, ISAF. And uh, it was a time when the Canadians uh, were the predominant uh, leadership within the, that headquarters uh, for, for the better part of 2004. And I learned a lot about leadership from, uh, I'll, I'll never be a Rick Hillier. I could never uh, hope to emulate some of his leadership characteristics, but I learned a lot about uh, leadership from him. Uh, no doubt a very rewarding experience, but uh, when we hear about Afghanistan in that period of time, there's a lot of difficulties there too. Did you encounter any uh, challenges? There were, there were challenges, for sure. Um, I, was, I always, admi always admired the, uh, the resiliency of the people. Uh, we get the impression in the West that there's um, predominantly um, you know, bloodthirsty terrorists and that kind of thing. That's not the case. They're like any society. There is an element there that unfortunately now has gained control that are like that. But uh, I found them to be hardworking uh, people that wanted the same thing that we wanted. They wanted a better future for their children. And, and one way to do that was through education. It is really unfortunate how things have unraveled there. But I'm hoping that uh, the, the time that the Canadian military was there and other nations that um, at least through education, we planted some seeds that may bear fruit down the road. One thing I truly believe is that if women gain full rights eventually in that society, um, then, then they will be on the road to improvement. But there's a tough road ahead, no doubt. I'm just hoping that we did some good and we saved some lives when we were there and we, and we planted some seeds. A weird full circle, I guess, uh, from being invited into that classroom almost 20 years ago to inviting children from Afghanistan and welcoming them into classrooms here. Yeah, that's that's quite right. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I look at, uh, I had a brief experience with uh, some of our new Afghan citizens and our, our students uh, when they first came, and they're just so, so enthusiastic about learning. And that'll help our society too. Like I think that infusion of people with different viewpoints is really the way forward for this province and this country. Um, it is so heartwarming to see them being able to express themselves freely 
on, on this side of the pond. It takes a little while. You know, uh, obviously some of them have been through a great deal, and we had to be cognizant of that. We had to be trauma-informed in how we, we deal with those students. But um, in this country, uh, with our education system and our support, uh, they've got a much better future than, than where they were. And, and hopefully maybe they will also, as expatriates, have influence on what happens in their home country someday. So it's how long have you been... Um with the NLESD now, it's, it, you said 20... Oh, well, I started uh, down at St. Bernard's in 1986, so uh, due to math, it's closer to 40 than 30. Um, and, uh, you know, apart from a few uh, times on leave to, to work with the Canadian military, it's, it's been a full career. Um, you know, I had the good fortune in 2010 to, to be the Army Commander for Atlantic Canada uh, on leave from the school district and got back off leave, went back to my job at St. Peter's Junior High and lo and behold, we had Hurricane Igor and I got activated again. Uh, that was for a short duration, but again, a, a great learning experience there as well. Um, so how much did your military career help to inform what you do in education? I think, well, as a, you know, the military is all about training. It's all about uh, providing folks with the skill sets to be able to operate uh, all over the world in some very trying circumstances and, and I'm very proud to be a Canadian that, that had the opportunity to do that. Uh, it's also about leadership development. So those things are, are near and dear to what we do in the education system. We are about capacity building and a big thrust of what I've been trying to do these last few years is build leadership capacity, build teacher autonomy. Uh, our teachers come out with advanced degrees. They're amongst the best highly trained in the world. And the least we can do is afford them the flexibility to be able to interpret the curriculum um, as best we can. Now, we need to, to do some curriculum reform, and I know the folks in the department are, would agree with that. Uh, it's an exciting time in education because we're just on the cusp of that. Instead of detailed outcomes, there's going to be some white space between for teachers to be able to maneuver now uh, in the future, not right away. Uh, we've also been trying to um, instill the philosophy of deep learning, which is all about enabling students for global competencies. Like the world of work wants people who can communicate, who can collaborate, who can critically think, who are creative. And then there's two other, we call them the soft C's of, of character and citizenship, but they're not really soft C's, they're more like enabling uh, C's that will allow people to be lifelong learners and go into jobs that we don't even know exist yet down the road. That's our world now. That's what uh, employers tell us they want. So what we have to do to support this development of these six global competencies is we have to re-examine our pedagogy, uh, you know, our, our teaching methods, and we are doing that. We've got some really fine examples from all over the province, everywhere from uh, I mean Amos Comenius in uh, Hopedale to uh, Valmont Academy in Kings Point, uh, or the bigger schools here in, in, in metro region. Um, Teachers and students are working collaboratively with student voice and choice to do that, to change the pedagogy, change up the learning environments, uh, go outside, go to different places. The learning environment is not just a classroom and four walls anymore, particularly when you can leverage technology, and that's another component. And finally, the last piece that sort of supports those six C's is learning partnerships, partnerships with businesses, partnerships with government, external stakeholders, 
and really uh, and working towards the common aim of, of those global competencies. What we want to do in our society is produce good citizens. You know, traditional schooling focused on discrete knowledge sets, uh, and then we had to, we were preoccupied with each student having to demonstrate their individualized knowledge, and, and to an extent. That still happens. Everyone needs a toolbox, you know, your times tables as an example and other things to help you through all that. Um, but ultimately, what we're trying to produce are good democratic citizens, people that can critically think, that can, there's, you know, we're surrounded these days by disinformation or misinformation. Some of it's deliberate, some of it is unfortunate. Uh, so in, in that type of environment, things like critically thinking and uh, 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 skill sets are going to come in handy because that's that's really what we want. We want students who harness their own passions and interests in collaboration with um, the learning they're they're gaining in the school environment and the world around them to find meaning and purpose to live happy, healthy, engaged lives in their community. Um, it's not all about the two-digit mark on the report card. It's a lot more than that. Our guest today on On Target is retiring director of English School District, Tony Stack. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is retiring director of the English School District, Tony Stack, who is retiring at the end of the day while we sat down for a chat this morning. How much has social media, I suppose, created challenges, if you will, for uh, the teaching environment and how children are perceiving their world? Because when you started out in 1986, uh, the primary influence, I suppose, outside of school was television. Uh, but television is regulated and, uh, and highly structured and has to meet certain standards, whereas social media, as we know, is free free game so how do you how do you work towards that critical thinking when so much is coming at children nowadays from so many sources yeah you're quite right you know there's uh there's a plethora of social media platforms out there some good some bad I, I won't say that all social media is bad i think some of it actually reinforces the notion of engaged democratic citizens the difficulty is of course when we consume that is having doing so with a critical eye and one thing that uh, mainstream media did for us, and I would include this great radio station in that, is you know you you have a filter, you can do some analysis, you can do some uh, verification. Uh, there's a level of trust there that we have for for mainstream media. Um, not to say that we can't trust social media, but we have to look for indicators that uh, this is false, and uh, or look at for indicators that think, okay, this is something that we didn't know before, the main, mainstream media hasn't picked up and needs to be amplified. But by by t giving children the skill set to operate in that environment, then, then we'll be good. You know, one of the things that was impressed upon me as, uh, as someone who used Gestetner machines in school systems and had the, you remember the sheets that would come off with the alcohol smell, uh, you know, I, I just met a bunch of new teachers and I relating that and asked them, have they, they, they haven't even seen it as students, now they're teachers, so I'm really old. But um, it's, it's so important uh, for us to imbue students with the skill sets to navigate the, that environment. The advantage they have is that they're, and you've probably heard this term, they're, they're uh, if I can use the term, indigenous to the digital world. 
whereas, and I'm including you in this, we're, we're a little older. You know, we're, we, we came upon the digital world later. Um, there was no cell phones when I started. There was Commodore PET was the advanced computer of the day uh, with the little amber icon. Uh, and now um, it's, it's a whole different world. You know, the, the calculating power in the Apollo uh, mission that landed on the moon, you can now have in your hand. Uh, it's the same, same power. It's, it's awesome. And we can leverage that technology. Like the, there are voices out there that say ban cell phones in classroom. We use correctly. You can use cell phones in classrooms to achieve uh, quite a bit. You can use examples of social media that um, uh, might need to be examined and have it as a class discussion. There's all kinds of uh, tools out there. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy. Like the, the world uh, that I relayed to students when I started was largely centered around what was in the textbook, and now much more than the textbook much more than an entire encyclopedia is in the palm of your hand. Uh, so that negates the requirement for a whole lot of rote learning and looks at a, a different environment whereby uh, students have to manipulate their world for outcomes. And it, it is more challenging. Uh, I don't know um, what the end result will be, but I, I think there are pluses and minuses of social media uh, that we have to to navigate through and uh, again getting back to students learning deeply about their world will give them the, the tool set to be able to operate in that environment. How much has the structure of education changed over the last uh, 30, almost 40, I hate to say it out loud, years? Uh, because when you started, there was a denominational system, there were various school districts. How has that changed over the length of your career? That has changed a great deal. Uh, you know, at one point in my career, I was in the Conception Bay Center School District. Now, Conception Bay Center School District had Ron Colley High and a couple of uh, uh, a girls' junior high, Assumption Junior High, and a couple of small feeder schools. That was a, that was a school district or a school board. Um, so, you know, at one point there was oodles of school districts, and um, over the over the years it, it was whittled down to to ten, then four, then one. Of course, we still had the French school district. Don't want to forget them, but in terms of the English, it's it's been compressed, and now we're on the cusp of another change where the operations of the school district are going to be absorbed into core government as part of the Department of Education. So yet another transition. Um, it seems like um, every every 10 years or so, there's a major shift in organizational structure. Uh, I think, it, you know, structure is part of it, and there are cost savings associated, and there are also additional costs associated with restructure. Obviously, the reach, you know, Newfoundland Labrador English School District, when I would go and represent us uh, uh, in other forums, people were just amazed at the, the vast geography that we were responsible for, everything from the tip of Labrador right to, you know, um, Outer Cove uh, on the Avalon, and uh, and just a variety of schools, you know, 250 odd schools, uh, two students in Mud Lake to the thousand plus in Holy Heart. So it was a vast area, but it worked because I, I think um, one thing that that helped us, for example, navigate the pandemic was the ability to ha uh, to have a provincial view to support one another, to draw on expertise from all corners of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and have a, a provincial focus to, uh, to, to solving and overcoming problems. 
How about uh, the changing demographics and the, the population shifts over the last number of years? I mean, we're seeing more and more of this concentration towards St. John's. A lot of schools have closed, and there's been need for more schools having to be built and, and opened up in certain areas. Yeah, there, you know, infrastructure is, uh, is always uh, an ongoing issue. Uh, back in when I was in school, uh, in 1972, for example, I think I think it was 1972, early 70s anyway, we were around 170,000 school-aged children in the province. Now we're down to less than 64,000. Um, and there's been a, a shift to urban areas and a depopulation of some of the rural areas. Uh, one of the challenges we're having right now around recruitment uh, is, is populating some of the more extreme remote locations. Uh, in some cases, um, you know, we're probably carrying a little bit of excess infrastructure in terms of some schools that have really low enrollments that are within a reasonable distance of another school. Uh, so that's something that uh, I think future leaders in, the, in this role and in government are going to have to address. Uh, that will also uh, mitigate the requirement to, to spread the teaching force hither and yon throughout the, every nook and cranny of the province. But I, but I understand, you know, Communities want their school to remain, but when you're down to populations of less than 10, uh, and there are other options uh, with to improve programming by uh, by proximity to another school, then then that those need to be looked at. So there's a lot of work there that has to be done, not overnight, but uh, there are some challenges. And you know, new infrastructure is always a good thing, and we've had even in even in the metro area. If you look at the new construction, there was the one new school, Waterford Valley High, a number of years ago, but most of the new infrastructure are going on the periphery, um, in places like Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, uh, th those areas that are outside of the, the metro St. John's boundaries. But we're all interconnected. You know, there may be municipal boundaries. We don't look at them from a school system perspective. We look at these, uh, at, at what's best for the, the system in general. Our guest today on On Target is retiring director of the English School District, Tony Stack. We'll be back right after this. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Our guest today on On Target is Tony Stack, director of the English School District. He's been making the rounds on this, his last day before retirement. And uh, we sat down for a little chat this morning. Here's the rest of our conversation. You mentioned recruitment, and we have spoken to the NLTA about some of the challenges there, but how have you had to change or shift um, expectations and offerings, I suppose, to try and uh, lure do uh, uh, doctors, I was going to say doctors, sorry, we talk about recruitment, I automatically go to doctors, but teachers, to some of these areas, it's more about, it's more than about money, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that we just did, uh, in, and we've done this in, in concert with the Faculty of Education, have been very receptive, uh, is we've met with the new students that are just finishing up in their fourth year, and we are committed to going forward, meeting uh, periodically with students as they enter the education faculty, to promote the notion of a very rewarding start to your career in a rural area. Uh, and some people go there, and we've got lots of examples of that, thinking they're only going to punch their couple of years and then get a uh, tenure track and then can go anywhere in the province now with, with one English school district. That's possible with, with province-wide seniority. So that's a lure. But 
in that process, there are some that are going to like it so much and like the lifestyle and maybe form relationships that, uh, that tether them to those communities. Uh, that's what we hope. You know, it, it's, it's a multifaceted problem. We didn't get here overnight, so it's going to take a few years to resolve. I know in, in discussions with the Dean of Education, the, uh, the esteemed Dr. Gerald Galway at uh, the Faculty of Education and with uh, President Timmons, they are very much aware that we need to generate more teachers coming out, and there's been efforts made in that direction. Uh, we've been in discussions with NLTA as well around incentivizing uh, being a teacher in a remote area, and those discussions are ongoing. So it's a, a multifaceted problem, um, one that is top of mind. It is definitely a challenge. I, we've always had difficulty in, to some degree in remote parts of the province, like um, the north coast of Labrador, for example. But now we're experiencing it elsewhere, uh, in on the island of Newfoundland, Labrador as well, even in places like the Bjorn Peninsula. So it's a, it is a, an ongoing concern. The other thing that's happened is uh, our number of available substitute teachers has been drastically depleted, which has impacts, which are exacerbated by a, a pandemic environment where sick leave is a little higher. Uh, so th there are definite pressures there, but there's some good people working on these problems. We're, we're very attuned to it, and there's one thing about this uh, small province in Newfoundland Labrador is uh, a good relationship. Yeah, there are friction points, but good relationship between core government, Department of Education, the school districts, um, the, um, the Faculty of Education, and the Newfoundland Labrador Teachers Association. I know uh, teachers have been mentioning this for some time. Uh, it uh, has to do with classroom composition, of course, and the, some of the very um, varied needs in a, very, in, a, in a classroom at any given time. You might have uh, five kids diagnosed with ADHD. You might have uh, two children on the autism spectrum. You might have three new Canadians, uh, each of whom speak a different language, but none of them English, if you know what I mean. So you're dealing with all of these things and trying to juggle all of these things as a teacher and ensuring that they're meeting the teaching needs of these children. Uh, um, it, is that more challenging now, or has it always been challenging? I think it's always been challenging. Like one of the things uh, that was that happened years ago, sadly, was we segregated children with learning needs. Um, you know, it's, it's it's shocking, really, in hindsight. We know better now, uh, so we want inclusive classrooms. And in fact, that uh, inclusive classroom environment actually enriches the experience for the learner and for the teacher. What we have to be careful of is not without challenges, you're right, uh, it's not as simple as class size, it's more about class composition, is overlaying supports for that teacher. So if it's uh, a language issue for a, a new Canadian, uh, it's uh, ESL teachers that have to be overlaid in support. Um, one of the things that the government has done recently, which we really applaud, is the introduction of reading specialists as a profession. Teaching and learning assistants, which um, are, have a different role than, say, a student assistant, which is largely portering and assisting like, like that. And not, not to diminish that role, it's very important. And we, the demand for student assistance is, uh, is real. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we'd certainly be 
enhanced by having more resources like that. So it, that's the trick. It's the, the classroom teacher and, and overlaying the supports for the classroom teacher and the children there. It's not uncommon now in a modern classroom to go in and see several adults in, a, in the room. You know, you have, you've got a student assistant with, with several children. You've got a teaching and learning assistant who's, and, and then you've got the teacher. And then there's, sometimes adults will come in, sometimes there will be students that uh, get we pulled out. I know it sounds bad, but you know, that's necessary too sometimes for some individualized attention with, with, uh, with experts like ESL teachers. So all of that. Is, is absolutely important uh, to the classroom teacher and to the to students that you have. And a success in, in getting some of those extra supports in the classroom? Uh, we, we've definitely, well, I know the, you know, the adding these units in the last few years uh, complicates the recruiting issue because now you've got more teaching positions, but uh, it is definitely an, a great infusion of resources. Uh, now, it, closely on the heels of adding those positions, of course, and then we had to navigate the pandemic. So we're c sort of coming on the other side of that, uh, hopefully, cautiously say that. Um, and then we'll see the real effect of, of adding these professions into the classroom environment, like reading specialists, for example. Um, you know, reading is, is absolutely key. And uh, if we can catch the, the learner who's having difficulty early enough and intervene early enough, then that'll pay dividends down the road. It's a great investment. Our guest today on On Target is retiring director of the English School District, Tony Stack. We'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And we're back. Our guest today is Tony Stack, director of the English School District, who's retiring at the end of the day today. He's been uh, uh, making the rounds, talking to media about uh, this auspicious occasion. And uh, we sat down, he and I, to have a chat this morning. Here's the remainder of our our conversation. Looking back over the last, well, since 1986, what are you most proud of? Um, I think uh, certainly my view has, has changed over the years. Um, like all of us, you know, uh, I, I'm most proud, I think, of of the recognition that one of our biggest issues, uh, which impacts all other issues is student engagement, the issue of student engagement. Early on in my tenure as director, I formed what's known as the Director's Principal Advisory Group. And uh, we met several days, it was very intense meetings, you know, with a school district with 254 schools trying to get ground truth. Uh, I assembled 13, why 13? It's just a number, but we got various configurations, primary, elementary, all over the province, so 13 representative principals to come together, and we bashed out that, you know, we got issues around attendance, we got issues around behavior, we have issues around resourcing, but it all came back to engagement and how engaged students are. So then we started looking for solutions, and I had been exposed to Michael Fullen's work in New Pedagogies for Deep Learning, and now we're part of the Global Learning, learning Labs, emphasizing what I talked about earlier, the, the six C's and the learning design around those. I'm most proud of that. Uh, it's a philosophy, it's not a, a program, and, and we've invited schools, and over the last few years, um, more and more schools are coming into to that program. Uh, so I'm, I'm most proud, hopeful, for the legacy piece to that. Uh, and, and when I say it's a philosophy, um, 
that sounds airy-fairy maybe to the listening audience, but really what it does is it underpins our, our core programs that the department have around school development, around responsive teaching and learning, about designing learning that's universal, universal design for learning, and then you have this underpinning philosophy. So I, I'm most proud of, of getting that started, and uh, I think it'll bear fruit in terms of how we, uh, how this province does on international testing down the road. Like we, not that international testing is the end all to be all, but it does give us some indicators and it is some, a measuring stick that outside uh, entities will use with respect to how Newfoundland and Labrador students are performing. And one of the things that, uh, and the department are, are well aware of this as well, that um, is true is, is Canada does very well, but in the Canadian ladder, on international testing. Newfoundland and Labrador is, is not is near the bottom when it comes to certain things and those things are um, problem solving and the critical thinking aspect that we're trying to emphasize now. Really good on the content. So the content piece we've got nailed down and now through a, a philosophy of deep learning and supporting school development hopefully we can, uh, and I'm really positive that we, we can, turn it around a bit uh, as a province uh, in respect to our performance on international testing. So uh, I know that's a long answer. That's what I'm most proud of getting, I think, getting that on the go as a, as a partial solution. And, and we'll see where things go. But there's enough enthusiasm around it um, that uh, I think it will move things forward. Anything you uh, really wish you had had more time to accomplish uh, over the course of your career? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. You know, um, there's always things left undone, you know, and I, I working right up until yesterday to, to you know, make sure files were followed up on and, and such. Um, but, you know, when, when the pandemic hit us, for example, and when we kicked off this deep learning piece, we were all down at the Delta Hotel. It had been a first time for a major conference for all of our administrators in the province. It was March 11th, 2020. And uh, great enthusiasm. Everybody left that session with the new pedagogies team internationally. Uh, that was a Tuesday. Wednesday, we finished up. Thursday, I went to Stephenville for meetings. That Thursday night, I found out the NBA had canceled their season. <laughs> the NHL followed suit. I had a sleepless night. Coming. Oh, it was bad. I had a sleepless night, woke up at 5, called our senior executive and told him to stop the buses for all the sports teams traveling that weekend. Little did we know that Friday, March 13, 2020, would be the last day of face-to-face -face instruction. Uh, but initially it was a punch in the gut, especially since we built all this momentum for at, at our conference on deep learning with our leadership in schools. But in hindsight, it, it gave us grounding to focus on what was best going forward for what was to come. You know, the, the importance of relationships, the importance of keeping students connected to their school environment. We learned gobs and gobs about how learning happens afterwards, about how we can do so much more virtually with students, younger students. We had always focused a little bit on our ability to have engagement with the Center for Distance and Learning and Innovation through high school programming for things like math, honors math in, in remote locations. But this just opened up a whole new world of possibilities for folks in, in K to nine. Like younger students could actually operate in a virtual environment. Now it wasn't perfect, I'm not sugarcoating it, uh, 
but it, it, it's afforded us new possibilities. So some of the challenges we're facing around, you mentioned earlier, around uh, being in remote locations. Uh, we, you can now deliver core French virtually to young students in clumps of schools of, you know, that, are, that are isolated like we never could before. So now for the very first time, some of these students are getting core French programming in this province. Because before, with you know, five or six students, you couldn't afford to send an entire teaching unit down there with, with French. It was hit or miss. So we learned so much about how students learn as well that we didn't have to rely on conventional evaluation, that students could demonstrate their learning in different ways other than through paper and pencil tests. Now, now look, we had seen research on that, but we really demonstrated it during the period. So all this work around deep learning and school development um, uh, is still ongoing. And uh, so I, I have no regrets that way. Um, yeah, you make mistakes. The important thing is you'll learn from mistakes. And we, we stumbled a little bit here and there, but I can tell you from interfacing with other jurisdictions, I'm very proud of the teachers of Newfoundland and Labrador and the administrators for how they navigated that environment. I'm proud of our partnerships with health uh, and the support from government throughout this. And most of all, from Newfoundland and Labradorians, regular people who did the right thing, got vaccinated, followed the rules, uh, and supported us in what we what we did. So we're um, we're in a good place moving forward as a province. Um, and uh, you know, I just always a little bit of um, reflection at this point in one's career as it, as it closes out on the last day. Uh, but uh, you know, we tried our best, and the team that's left, uh, I know, uh, are very capable of moving things forward. So I'm happy with that. Very happy with that and I think people of Newfoundland and Labrador should be very proud of the senior folks that gu that guide education in this province and all of the teachers and educators that are totally focused on doing the very best for students. In a weird way it's almost like you know teaching a child and they graduate and you're sending them off into the world. In this case you're sending an entire uh, school district off into another realm. Uh, you know are you comfortable with where the, the school system is right now and, and where it will go in the future? Uh, one of the, when I first heard that the government had decided to incorporate the district, district into uh, core government through in the Department of Education, I said then right away uh, that if you're going to do this, then let's ensure that, there, that the learning environment at the school level is not negatively impacted and maybe enhanced if we do it right. So that's really key, that the learning environment is not affected. Secondly, that there's no administrative burden downloaded to the individual schools because of this. Let's not make it more complicated for them to buy furniture or do all of the things that have to be done. There's a huge support f piece in this on the corporate service side, financial, technology, um, you know, the, uh, the facilities folks, all of that is huge. So let's not overcomplicate that uh, and let's not disrupt that environment and make, make it an administrative burden for their, our school leaders. And finally, we have to consider people in this equation. Uh, so if those three things can be done, and I, I, I get the sense from my interface with uh, Deputy Minister Dr. Greg O'Leary and the various ministers we've had, uh, that, that they understand that. So I'm hopeful that that is something that will carry forward and that we will 
ultimately whatever the organizational structure is, and we've been through, as you referenced earlier, many, many permutations and restructuring in education in this province, that uh, we continue to move forward and improve the learning environment for students. What's ahead for Tony Stack now? You're a hands-on guy with a varied background and obviously uh, very engaged over the course of the last few decades. So what's ahead? For me, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of scary. You know, 100 miles an hour um, to full stop. Uh, I could take in a couple of hockey games. The Habs have a, not the greatest season, but I'll see a couple of games with my son in, in Montreal. Um, but no media plans. Like I, I'll still try to stay engaged. Um, I, I'm very interested in education matters, and we'll be closely following what happens. Um, but uh, also, I, I work on the uh, a very great organization. I work. I volunteer uh, with the board of governors for the commissioners in this province, and commissioners are the the biggest employer of veterans. Um, in Canada and continue to be so. So it's a wonderful organization and it, it, it does, you know, it's a not-for-profit and uh, I don't think many people realize that. They see the commissioner uniform, but it's a non-for-profit and, and it's intended to give meaningful employment and support veterans' causes. So that's something that I'll have more time to do now on a volunteer basis. So might I see you in the hallways then at uh, Confederation Building? <laughs> well, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? No, thanks for this opportunity, and I, I really uh, want to thank uh, VOCM. Uh, you've uh, been good conveyors of our, of our messages, uh, and uh, we've enjoyed working with you over the years, and, and in particular you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Tony, thanks, and all the best to you now uh, in, the, in your future endeavors, as the saying goes, but I know you're going to make uh, the most of it and be, continue to be engaged. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that's Tony Stack. He's retiring at the end of the day. We appreciate him uh, coming in to um, share his thoughts with us on education. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Do stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening, everyone.